Welcome to the Wind and Waves podcast. Today we got a chance to sit down with Gabby Reese to talk to her about growing up in a small Caribbean island before settling down with one of surfing's greatest legends. Gabby lived on St. Thomas through her junior year in high school and then moved to Florida, where she started playing volleyball competitively. It didn't take many looks from talent scouts before she was picked up by Florida State and given a full ride to play for them. College volleyball led to pro beach volleyball, where she continued to dominate, still holding record for most blocks and kills. During her days as a pro beach player, she drifted in and out of modeling with her tall athletic frame and stunning looks before eventually finding her way to television. Gabby is the complete package. She's athletic, intelligent, self-confident, and has a strong entrepreneurial drive that keeps her eyes and ears open to opportunities when they present themselves. She met her husband, Laird Hamilton, while interviewing him for an episode of Extreme TV and settled down with him in Hawaii soon after. Their most recent project to date is one they run together by inviting a host of different types of people to participate in what they call Extreme Pool Training, or XPT. It was interesting to learn about the key takeaways experienced by the majority of the guests and the diversity of each guest's level of fitness and comfort in the water. There's a wide gamut of experience among the participants, and each one is there to push their own personal limits, regardless of how their abilities may compare to the overall group. Both Laird and Gabby have been very open about the work they put into their relationship with one another. Gabby is just as transparent in her parenting philosophy used to raise their daughters. Despite the fact that these girls are growing up with two incredibly popular and recognizable media icons as parents, they all manage to stay grounded and as tightly knit and seemingly present as any other family. As you can imagine, we were incredibly honored and flattered to be able to spend this time with Gabby, and we hope you will too. Enjoy the show. So um, I thought, um, well, the reason we wanted to have you on is we wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about well, about your whole life, actually, um, and just we're not going to cover that much detail, but we we think you have a fascinating story based on um, some of the things that we know about you, and we thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you about some of the connections between um, you know between you growing up in the Caribbean, your career playing volleyball, all the way to kind of what you're doing now, your celebrity status, sports and fitness, health, XBT, and so on. Um, okay. I know that's a lot, but, uh, you know, we're, as you know, we're, we're in Vermont, so we have really kind of an East coast lens to a lot of the things that we look at in the surf world. And, um, know, one of the things that was kind of interesting to us was the fact that you grew up in the U S Virgin islands. And I thought maybe we could start there with kind of what it was like being there. And it sounds like, I think if I have this right, I think you were there until something like the 11th grade, but what was it like growing up? Um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands back in that time period? Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, I mean, the obvious stuff is it was really beautiful. And uh, uh, what's interesting is unless you were local, a lot of us who were there, if we were brought there, our parents um, were kind of, in a like in a trip, you know, like they were, they were all either right, living an alternative lifestyle or, you know, it was like the seventies and eighties. And so I think there was an, a, a sort of an unconventional twist to it. Right. And, um, 
And for me, also just living in a different culture, my biological father's from Trinidad. So that side of my family is all West Indian. And so I think for me, it was also maybe on a DNA level, maybe felt really natural and good because that is part of my heritage. Um, but just, I don't know, it's very interesting. Both Laird and I say it's very interesting to be, um, you know, sort of large, white, blonde people, but with a, a much more indigenous uh, kind of upbringing and point of view, because you move through the world as kind of this white person, right? but that's actually not how you look at it. And, and so it's a really interesting way to now live when I moved to the mainland. But, you know, you're around the water. There's all different types of culture and music, different types of food. My stepfather was from Puerto Rico, so I had that culture as well. Um, so it, I think it just, it, it makes you see it differently. You know, and again, even for Laird and I, like people think, oh, you're both athletic and big and that's why you're a couple. And it's like, well, actually what we have more in common is that we were raised on islands and where your value system is developed, uh, that has a big, a really big impact and influence on, on who you are as a person. Yeah. And was it, I mean, was it a big shock moving to the mainland after, cause I imagine it had to be pretty small, like in terms of groups of friends and siblings and things yeah. like that. I mean, it was a really small cultural thing. I mean, particularly living on the Island, right. It gets even smaller when you're actually living there as opposed to just visiting. But <clears throat> yeah. What was it well, like? You know, St. Thomas, St. Thomas is sort of the most populated island, so there was a density to the amount of population, but within that, you're right, it was so sort of small town. But the problem is, is like, what's really good for you as a little kid, when you start getting into these really formative years of 13, 14, 15, unless you're a really uh, focused kid who has something, some kind of passion that's keeping you on a track, it can be a pretty it can be a slippery slope. So I resisted it then. Um, but I certainly look back and realize that leaving at 11th grade grade was really pivotal for the rest of my future. In fact, I'm going through this with one of my, with my middle daughter, who's 14, um, being on Kauai part-time where I'm like, right. what has been great and tethering you and being, having you connect to mother nature and the Polynesian culture is also, there's some idle time and you know, and let, it, it's you you get to a point where you go okay I've got to go now and it was shocking and I went to Florida and I was put in a hyper conservative Christian school coming from a really loose flamboyant West Indian culture uh, yeah how did that happen <clears throat> well it was my mother's idea go figure and um I was really bummed for a lot of reasons because I I didn't fit in um you know, I, I, the joke was I was the only, quote, unsaved person in the high school because I, I didn't grow up with uh, a religious background. So it wasn't that I, I couldn't believe or didn't believe. I just wasn't raised that way. And these, this was a group that was, you know, born and raised in the church. And uh, for whatever reason, the principal who later had some other very positive impact uh, in my life let me come into the high school. And so, you know, I was sort of a, what was considered radical and I, where I came from, it was normal behavior, but that's where everything got on track for me. I met some really, I had some really good friends. I had some really important coaches and that's when I got really involved with um, organized athletics. And, and um, I remember getting 
a college offers more for basketball because I went to these invitational camps, so I had more exposure. The joke was I had 30 offers for basketball and six for volleyball, so I picked wow. volleyball. But uh, I remember telling my friends back home, you know, I'd only been gone for 18 months. I'm like, yeah, I, I got scholarship offers, and they're like, for what? I'm like, I know. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I was it just. You know, so it's natural, one of those things natural where you, athleticism, right? I mean, you must have had just unbelievable natural athleticism because did you were you involved in any organized athletics or were you when you were in the Caribbean and then you moved to Florida and then you got a scholarship? What, a, like your first year in Florida? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Well, it was my senior year. Like I was you talk about late. I think I signed my letter of intent like May or June. Like that means like a few months before you go to college. Right, right. I I was athletic. I played a little bit of volleyball in, in the Caribbean. Um, I was always in the water. My mother, I know it sounds strange. She trained dolphins in a circus in Mexico and she's very tall. She's six, two and very athletic and I'm six, three. So I don't know that. I mean, I think I'm a good athlete. I think I had going for me some raw talent size. And really the number one thing is I think I, I was always very coachable that if you ask me really, um, that was probably the most important asset. And, uh, I was always willing to be like, okay. Because I didn't know. So I was willing to be like, I don't know. Okay. Did you put in the time, um, in other words? Did you really kind of – did you put in the time to really kind of break down sort of how to get better and go through the process and skill development and all that? Yeah, I think I did that. But I I think, you know, one thing I've always been, and I I still am, and it's the thing that sports has always given me a platform, is I like to work hard and I – am dedicated to working hard. And so I, I think that that was something that I, I thought, okay, I'm going to work really hard. And I, the joke was, is that I really learned to play volleyball in college. Wow. So, okay. You know, so I, they, I went there on a scholarship <laughs> and I started my freshman year after like the third game. But I, when I really like was like, I was doing things on purpose and not kind of fudging it and using my size and everything is, it was probably like my sophomore year or something. Right. But so Florida State obviously saw some potential in you, right? They're like, we can we can turn this person into a championship volleyball player. I I think my coach was willing to take a bet on it. And I think um, I just needed the confidence. A lot of times when you're not, I you know, I've talked to Carrie Walsh a lot about this. You know, Carrie Walsh, I always say to her, you know, she was groomed for success for her from her, you know, her entire life. Right. And when you fall into success, at times it's very uncomfortable and you don't know how to manage it and you don't know how to navigate it. So I had to allow myself also that, and that took a minute. And it even took a minute in the pros where I felt weird and even shameful about like, why am I getting attention or why do I get more opportunity because I wasn't groomed for it. Nobody told me it was okay. And right. so I was battling a lot of different things coming from where I came from that people didn't know. It wasn't that obvious um, that I, I really, it took me a long time to, to navigate it and, and not feel shameful or strange and, and to just be appreciative and, and try to be a good example uh, versus feeling guilty or confused as to like, why am I allowed to? Right. Well, it came later for you, right? So a lot of people started playing at a much earlier age. They sort of grew up knowing what they wanted to do. They had more time to work on it. And then and then they're competing against someone like you who kind of came into it 
much, much later. And you had to kind of, you had to play catch up a lot quicker. Yeah. And it's also dialogue. You know, I think when you have children and your children are see successful people and they understand that that is, that's something that can be part of your, your regular everyday life, that language is easier. I didn't have those examples around me and no one was saying to me until much later, um, you you can do it, or um, you you could be good, or you could be great. So that dial that 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 conversation didn't come my way for much late till much later, and so it took me a minute to kind of work that out. Right. No. Uh, okay. And then, so you said your um, so your your mother's from Puerto Rico. Your no, my mother's from New York. From New York. My stepfather's Where- from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Where where in New York is your mother Long from? Island. Oh really? Okay. She's from Amityville. Amityville, which you know, which is great. Yeah, that was, you, know, you could say Amityville, but people knew exactly where that was then. <laughs> I had a cousin who was lactose intolerant from Amityville, and we used to joke that she'd scream all the time that she was the Amityville Horror Three or whatever. But um, oh, you yeah. know, that was like a house, like you know, around the corner or something. And and my first um, sort of very young five years i lived actually in long island with um neighborhood friends a couple of my mother i did not live with my parents so i had some you know kind of radical radically different um cultures i i grew up in yeah so now i know you guys do the santa paddle race event in long island every summer <clears throat> do you do that mm-hmm. because i mean are you are you doing it have you picked long island because of uh, your, your sort of family connections to Long Island? No, that's actually a really great story. There's a woman there named Maria Bell, and Maria was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. And so she lived in Sag Harbor, and what she would do is she would stand up paddle. She, she has four children. She didn't really, her husband knew, obviously, and she didn't really discuss it with her children. And so she would go out and paddle out on the water on a Laird board. And she would talk to Laird, she would yell at Laird, she would cry to Laird, she would do all this stuff out and work it out on her paddle. And we have a mutual friend, we didn't know Maria. And so my friend told me the story and then they asked us to get involved with the charity and and, um, and we've actually become friends with them since then. And it's a really worthy cause. And what I like about um, that group is, you know, sort of 97 cents or something like that uh, of every dollar goes to the research. Right. So for us, that was really important. And it's, and it's a great group. And, you know, one thing you can say about the East Coasters is they really know how to raise money. And uh, it's it's a great event. Yeah, especially out on Long Island. Well, and it's good. I mean, especially in August, I think, I mean, the draw that you get out yeah. there, it's got to yeah. be obviously really, really popular. Well, not, and that's fancy Long Island. I didn't grow up in fancy Long Island. I grew up like in more, you know. Right. That's the east side of Long Island. Right. <laughs> Amityville yeah. is not on the east side. <laughs> now, Lindenhurst Amityville, that wasn't like, you know, highfalutin. <laughs> so, and where it is, is it's a it's a great event and it's organic, so. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, it would be fun to go. We we hold an event up here on Lake Champlain and I think it's usually around the same weekend, but otherwise it would be fun to get down there and check that out. We have a lot of friends who paddle down on the east end of Long Island who do a lot of Santa paddle training and do some various races down there, some great clinics. A lot of great paddlers who come out of there as well. And the whole East Coast um, yeah. Santa Paddle racing is actually is actually holding strong. It's doing really well. And it's, we're actually really excited to see what happens. There's this whole new development now with 
there's this new paddle league group that's getting together. I don't know if you've heard about this with like Chris Parker, um, Sup Racer, mm-hmm. and and two other guys who put together the paddle league. And anyway, we're looking forward to see what those guys do this um, this year. This will be their first, and I think the Carolina Cup down in North Carolina will be the the kickoff event for them. So looking forward to seeing that. And when is that? Uh, the Carolina Cup is, I think, April. When is that event? Yeah, it's April seventeenth. Okay. Yeah. Great. I yeah, they have and and to your point, they have a lot of people who participate, uh, and they're really strong paddlers. It was it's cool to see men and women. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, and we all know, I mean, the benefit, the health benefits of Santa paddling are just out are just unbelievable. You know, in terms of like fitness and health, in terms of just. Um, yeah. and even dealing with injuries, you know, we've, we know a paddler out on Long Island who overcome all kinds of neck and back issues, you know, just through paddling and, uh, you know, it's just well, like it's nice Blair to see that happen. The bicycle of the water. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what, I mean, listen, stand up paddle, the, the beautiful thing is, you know, what is it going to be? 85% of people who have arrived at, you know, SUP board are not going to do it on a wave. They're going to be on in waterways and lakes and, and places like that. And, and I think any way to get people to feel comfortable and accessing water and being out in nature and, and the fact, like your point, you're standing so posturally, you're using your entire body versus the difficult thing about surfing or, or other types, even, you know, kayak paddling is the fact that you're seated or laying, right. I mean, this takes a, a different type of toll on your body. And, and so I, I think stand up, um, gets also people that would never be, be doing that, you know, being on the water out there. And, and it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, the posture is just so much better, right? <clears throat> even, yeah. even little moves, like we've all gone to like stand up desks here. So a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of our day has spent in front of the computer <clears throat> and having just made a change from getting out of the chair to standing up every day for a few months now, it's unbelievably different on my body and just being able to, yeah. You know, just in terms of my flexibility, in terms of just my level of energy, it's 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 night and day. And so, you know, the same thing is true of of paddling kayaks, canoes, or sit down paddling versus mm-hmm. stand up paddling. In my mind, and it's just a more obviously, it's more of a full body thing. It's it's way more um, it's way more of an athletic position. It's a way more athletic move, and just we we just can't talk enough about the the benefits of stand-up paddling. Yeah. Well, we, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been watching stand-up paddling for a really long time. So yeah, I, I know uh, you have, right. I, I mean, initially, you know, Laird was looking for something to do when there was no surf or, or to take one of the girls out on a board. And, um, you know, he's like, anytime you can stand up over, you know, laying or sitting, fantastic. So, um, that's always been something that has been talked about for, I, I'd say, 20 years in our house, for sure. So do you guys do a lot of surfing together, too? No. No, no, no. Mm-mm. Do you surf at all? We don't. Um, I, You know, I used to surf when I first moved to Kauai, but I know it sounds silly, but it's it's such a – I find surfing, you have to be kind of combative in a way. Right, right. And um, I just – You mean because I, it's territorial? Yeah, and I just didn't want – that's not – I mean, I have an aggressive part of my personality, but I didn't really want to – I just I, – I live really successfully in a small place, uh, 
and I'm out of any drama or hassle. Um, you know, now surfing was my thing and I just was like, I just do it. But I, um, I just kind of realized I, I was okay. And then Larry could tell me how, you know, for, I mean, wherever he surfs, I'm not surfing anyway, let's be serious. But <laughs> um, on the, on the few times that maybe we would cross paths, um, I like it when he comes home and tells me how his day was and we're not in each other's shorts and I saw you here and you saw me and you told me to go on a wave or whatever, you know. Well, you guys have done that. <laughs> you guys have done a nice job Wait, what? publicly. You've done a nice job publicly sort of talking about your marriage and talking about living together and, and how you make it work. And it's it's inspiring, you know, to a, to a lot of people who get to hear that. And um, one of the well, questions... It's One really the, important, it's, but it's most important for people to realize, I think, for both of us separately, is neither one of us want to portray something like, oh, it's easy or it's perfect. Uh, right. Because it's like, you know, I call, I call it the making your bed, brushing your teeth theory. You're going to do, you have to work for it every day. Right. It's not like, oh, we've got this now. It's like you don't, you don't have anything. You're just doing the best you can each single day. Right. That's a good way to look at it. It is. It is. I mean, I think everybody understands it's work. You got to put some work into it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be painful. I always love that too. Like married couples, guys, like, well, you know, marriage is so much work. It's like, oh my god, like, are you, what's going on? Like, no, but you're right. I mean, a lightness. <laughs> the perception that it's easy is is not accurate either. So, I think I think no, it, it, it takes some guts. It takes some guts yeah, like, to come hey, out and say it takes work. work. Right, but how about like? If, if I go into it with an attitude of like maybe it could be fun or there could be some flow to it instead of, oh, well, you know, I mean, literally, I can't tell you how many people I know that they're like, it's a lot of work. And you think, <laughs> right. Huh, are you a that. lot of work? You know, I don't know. So. <laughs> well, the question is, why is it so much work? Maybe you guys are doing something wrong, you know? Yeah. Well, that person's that part of the equation or something. Who knows? Who knows? So um, I want to talk to you a little bit about so post volleyball. Um, yeah. Tell me about like how you're when you were trying to when you were thinking about your next career moves. You were doing all kinds of stuff from modeling to hosting television shows to commentating and everything in between. I mean, how, what what kind of path were you? Did you feel as though back then you were on some kind of a path? Were you kind of responding to different options and opportunities? How did that all work? You know, I think I well, there's a couple things that went into that. I think for one, being in a small sport like volleyball, you know, what's hard is that it's a it's a small sport. But what's great is that you're pretty clear that you better if you have other interests and other skill sets that it'd be a good idea to develop those. So I knew that even at 22, and so that that kind of keeps you on your toes. Not like oh, I'm retired now. What should I do? So. You know, the good news about that was I knew even when I was in the height of my volleyball career that it was going to be important to to be able to do other things as long as those things were things that I was I was naturally naturally interested in or good at. Not, well, I'll do that because other people do that. I think that that's a mistake people make, right? They follow other people right. or they say, well, they're like sort of like me, so I'll do what they do. I think for me, I was always looking at things that made sense or reflected who I was really and things I thought I could do a good job at. And I went with that. And, and the other side of that is, is being fortunate enough to have those opportunities also match up. 
and ha- and have you know people you know writing books or doing television or or what have you and so once I was done playing ball by then I had really gotten more interested in in movement and eating and and that impact on your life um and not and beyond the performance side you know because how many of us are going to be professional athletes and really even if you train you know per day how many hours of your day does that really take it's really about uh, our lives our relationships our uh, our sense of well-being our ability to produce to execute to concentrate so i was always really interested in that and and then as things opened up i just would try things and and um and try to develop things but also have ideas like go get have an idea and say okay i'm going to call this person i'm going to go do this thing and um and see and see what comes out of it so i think for me i just wanted i wanted to make sure i was listening to my voice but also doing things for the reasons the right reasons because it's very you know you i always say you have to be clear like, like okay i'm going to do this for money i'm going to do this for attention i'm going to do this because I think the long run play is something that makes sense. So I think as long as, as I was moving through these, I, I had to stay honest about all those reasons why I was doing something. Right. In a sense, you're, you know, brand, you're brand building the whole time. And it sounds like obviously you're very entrepreneurial, but you're brand building the whole yeah. time, right? You're building the Gabby Reese brand and trying to figure out what's, but, what's the next logical step for you. Yes. But you didn't say that like athletes now, go, oh, well, I'm a brand, you know, build a brand. It's like, you've been around for five minutes. And like Michael Jordan is a brand, brand Jordan. And I certainly wasn't thinking, oh, I'm a brand. I was thinking, okay, I'm in this position. You know, what do I want to do? How do I want to impact people? And make sure it's consistent. It's of quality. You deliver and and see where it goes. Now there's a complete, you know, know vernacular around like oh i just want to expand the brand and all this and i'm like oh brother but (laughs) but certainly as you're going right you you have to do things that are connected and related and make sense Uh, because if all of a sudden you're going down the road and you make a big weird left turn people are going to be like that's weird like why'd you do that so you know it's like anything you want to be consistent and 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 it isn't hey i want to stand for something it's I want to stand for who I am. And, and that even might change because that's the other thing is, is who am I today and right now? I'm not, oh, I'm going to try to keep retelling the story of who I was 25 years ago. That's done. Right. You got to evolve. You got to stay current, right? Because things change over time. Well, and you got to let it go. Like yeah. you've got to let go of that other story. And you have to make, and, and I don't mean purposely and truly make new stories, but hopefully live in a way, try to keep learning, try to keep growing, try to go where your passions take you and make new stories. And then you can have your work represent that. And what's liberating about that is, is that I don't have to be who I was at 22. I don't look like that. I can't right. jump like that. There's an um, evolution. I can be... I can genuinely show up and be who I am today. And so it's, it takes not that pressure off, but it does alleviate you a little bit where you're not like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I'm not 20, I'm not 30. You know, it's like you can, you can go on, but you just have to be willing also to roll up your sleeves and Sundays start at the bottom and go, I'm at the bottom of this new mountain that I would like to climb to the top of and be willing to do that and humble out and, 
do what it takes. And but at the whole the whole time, it seemed like you were really in the flow, right? You found you found this natural flow of, of linking sort of dot to dot in terms of where you should go next, mm -hmm. and then you get these positive affirmations from from whatever from either the public or from your from your followers or from advisors or people who are helping to guide you but people who are sort of checking in and saying no that wasn't a weird left turn that's exactly where you should be going and this is the next logical move for you here to here to here and honestly i mean that's one of the things that's so interesting about everything you've done in your career is how these dots have connected you know from the beginning and where everything is taking you from one step to the next and it takes a lot of courage to do that. It is very entrepreneurial to sort of have the have the um, have the vision to sort of understand. Here's where I've here's where here's here's where I am today. This is where I've been, and this is where I want to go. And to just keep keep moving along, and and taking well, big bold steps. And you've you've taken some huge steps, you know. From but this is important. This is important. This is something important, though, because everybody in their own world is an entrepreneur, right? It's important. Right. What's important to understand is it didn't feel like the dots were connecting. Oh, at times you go, oh, my goodness, I see the connection. From day to day, you are unsure. From day to day, you can have great successes and doubt yourself greatly. You, you intuitively have a feeling. You know, like, this feels like th this is where I'm supposed to be going, and you're not getting the affirmation. You're right. not getting the opportunity, but inside you says, this is, you can see it, you know, but you don't know, right? So I, uh, what I would say to all people is if you're realistic, right? I didn't say, hey, after I retired from volleyball, I would like to be an Olympic gymnast. Okay, pretty smart. So <laughs> it's, it's, living, it's sort of living in your reality, knowing who you are, knowing what you're good at knowing what you can deliver on, knowing what you can get out of bed for, even when it sucks. And because your reasons are real and, and then following. And when the doors aren't opening, just keep going, but not to the point. There's also a time when you go, man, I've been putting, pushing this rock up this hill and there's no give. I got to, maybe I should right. reevaluate this. So there's times to know the difference when you're beating your head against the wall and when it's time or it's time to just push a little harder. So there's all these things. So I'm, from the outside, it might look like one way in everyone's situation, but from the inside, um, it, it goes back to that work and that belief and, and also a little bit of creativity, a little bit of looking forward and saying, well, what's this gonna look like in three years and five years? And because I care about it, does anyone else care about it? Cause that's the other thing people make a huge mistake. They think, oh, this is really important. Nobody cares. Right. And maybe it only cares and to so that. Right. Correct. So it's sometimes getting outside yourself and going, uh, what's your, you know, what's your currency? Are you relevant? Who can you impact? Um, and not get so closed minded or self-important that you think, oh, people are going to love this. They might not. So I, I think for me, it's been a series of always going through this. I'm trying to be as honest with myself as possible. And at times, some of the business has actually been about pushing Laird's business ahead and not even my own business. Because let's say in that moment, that business, it was the time. So I was like, okay, I'm, this is the time to put the effort into that business. Right. So you have to realize I've danced in and out of kind of my stuff, his stuff, our stuff, 
around. Yeah. So would you say that, would you say you get up every morning and you're just so excited to take on the day? I mean, or do you wake up just full of optimism every morning? I always believe it's funny cause I'm a grinder. Um, but I, I always have this real belief always inside the hope of anything is possible. What else is possible? But I'm not one of these people who's like, you know, floating, walking on air and, uh, you know, full of all these affirmations. I think I'm a pretty serious person. In fact, I have to always work on that. And, um, but I, inside, I always think it's all possible. You know, right. all of it is possible. And, um, and, and, and kind of tapping in, like being tapped into that. Yeah. And that's the key, I think, to optimism. You know, it's like that belief that anything's possible is such a healthy way to start your day and to get up in the morning. And that's kind of, you know, that goes back to connecting the dots. But I mean, in terms of visualizing, right? And mm -hmm. to me, visualization is such a powerful tool. But if visualizing sort of what the next step is in anybody's career or whatever your life path is, but visualizing that and realizing that anything is possible is a key combination to be able to do pretty much anything you want. I think so. I think so, too. But I think there's an interesting thing where we are given gifts or like our own vision about the future. And we just have to keep crystallizing what that is because then I, I, you know, I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger, I can't believe I'm quoting him say <laughs> that for him success was that when you're outside reflected who you were on the inside, then that actually was success. Yeah. Right? Like so yeah. 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 You know what I mean? Like the job you're working at, the relationships you have, the friends you have, the location you are living in. And, and granted, that's not to say that sometimes you go, hey, I'm going to take that job for two years and suck it up and get some skill, a skill set that I know will help me later. And yes, I have to live in the city that I don't want to. Okay, that's, that's, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, you know, overall. Right, right. I mean, because that happens, right? We all, I lived in New York City when I was 18 to 22 between college, you know, in there, because I understood what was happening, but it's the same for people. Like you might take a job and go, I will have, I will learn an invaluable amount of information that's going to help me for that bigger picture. But that ultimately, like when you look around, you go, yes, this feels like my life, my life, not right. the life I copied of someone else. This feels like my life. Right. And that's when you know you're on the right path, you know, and, when you feel that, then you know you're you're headed in the right direction, and that you know, I mean it gets back to getting into this the whole the flow of where you should be, of where you're going, where you should be headed. No, that's that's, that's well, awesome. and and it is the definition. Like we, we walk around and we've we've equated now followers, likes, and money as success. But I really believe, especially this time that we're in now. I think it's paramount for all of us to really rejigger what the definition of success is because, you know, I have plenty of friends that are, you know, either really famous or really powerful or really rich. And they, it, it is just not the answer to have a, a creative outlet, to have a place to express who you are as a person. And yes, you want to pay the bills, but to not, that's not necessarily always the order. So for me, success, when I'm thinking about success, it's, it has those other nuances in it than, okay, how many zeros and did anyone notice? It's so much, beyond, it, there's so much more beyond that. And um, I think that that is really important. Well, just hearing you talk about this, honestly, Gabby, it makes me feel like you, I mean, you are a born motivational speaker or, I mean, you're a classic role model. And I think you know that, but I mean, do you, 
do you, do you hear from a lot of people who who approach you that tell you how, you know what kind of impact you've made in their lives and I know you, I know you do a lot of speaking you've written books you you're you've um you've 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 led a very popular life in the media in all kinds of different ways um you're a very powerful role model and I know you know that but talk to us a little bit about sort of where you're headed next in terms of because this this influence you have and like and all the people who know you who look up to you who see you in all kinds of different ways um kind of what's your next step in terms of continuing to motivate those people well i think you know for me you know it's like you're always taking care of the source right so if uh, and I'll, I'll be really honest with you. Like it, it always is interesting because I'm not, I'm in that weird space of notoriety where either nobody knows me or somebody really knows me. So, you you know, I can travel through right. an airport and be, have a lot of people know me or just people think I'm a very tall blonde woman. Right. So <laughs> you have to realize for me and the way I grew up and the way that I live, um, that actually is not impacting my day-to-day -day life so much. Um, and so I guess, I, when I say take care of the sources, I'm going to continue on my journey and do the best that I can and, and try to put out work that is reflective of, of, of me and, um, and who, who it resonates with. That would be great because the other side of that is I can drop it off and if you need it or you can use it, you can pick it up. But if it does, if you don't need it, then you can leave it. And I think the idea of packaging it and giving it to people that's never been really as much my way as just trying to do it, be as honest as I can and tell you where I'm at and then just see what happens. Right. And that's the best way to be. That's the most authentic way to do it, in my opinion. Right. Well, it's just, I'm not good at the other because I, you know, listen, I know how to, to, to kind of, I don't want to say put the package together where it's like, I know who has to shoot it and I know where it needs to be seen and all that. Right, but right. I, what I'm saying is, is, is that I'm, I feel like the less I can put it together that way, but there are times where I go, you know, maybe I should be a little shrewder that way. It's just, it's never, I always felt like I was, I was faking or I was being dece deceitful versus okay, well, this is where I am now. This is what I'm doing. Um, but, you, you know, there's a little bit of strategy that goes into the future on the business side. But as far as me personally, like what I'm putting out there, it's like a weird thing of we'll just see what happens. Yeah, it's more genuine that way. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about XPT. And I want to start by just mm -hmm. um, uh, sharing. So I was down – I was down in Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago and I took a, um, an oh. FII breath holding course. And it was the first time I'd ever done mm -hmm. something like this, but it's a waterman survival course, um, run by a guy named Joe Sheridan out of Wrightsville, North Carolina. And he was holding it down in Rincon, Puerto Rico. And they did an amazing job oh. and <clears throat> learned a lot over the course of the couple of days with them. And, but one of the, one of the biggest takeaways for me was this whole idea of CO2 tolerance. And yeah. this was this was new to me. So for 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 people who are listening, the, the the most interesting thing about breath holding underwater is this concept that your urge to breathe after some period of time, you know, something like just under a minute or something or over a minute, depending on your tolerance. But that urge to breathe 
is not from a lack of oxygen. It's from a low tolerance of CO2. And so, right, so as you're, as you're holding your breath, your, your body is producing CO2. And yeah. once you hit a maximum threshold of CO2, your body starts going into convulsions because it wants to exhale yeah. and release and expunge the CO2. If you come up and exhale at that point, you still have plenty of oxygen in your body. You're not going to hypoxiate or run out of air and, and black out. You, you basically have to push through your body's urge to exhale, and that's how you build up a CO2 tolerance, if, if I have that right. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to a certain level, if, so the, whoever has the highest CO2 tolerance, at that point when they get the urge yeah. to breathe, it's truly for, from a lack of oxygen because they've trained their body right. basically to develop a, a tolerance to high levels of CO2. So in terms of what you guys are doing, and I know so much of this comes down to breathing and the breath, um, what can you, what can you tell us about some of the major takeaways from XBT in terms of breathing? Well, I, I, I really appreciate you, you know, your, your point about CO2 and there's another really kind of beautiful thing that CO2 does. So to your point, if I'm a, a free diver, right, I scrub all my CO2 to override that impulse and I can hold my breath longer. But there's another thing, there's a book by Patrick McCune called The Oxygen Advantage, where he scientifically explains that if you're breathing in and out through your nose, your CO2 will rise because you're not scrubbing it from your mouth, right? So you're getting right. this sort of like this buildup like you talk about. Right. Well, the reality is in order for the oxygen to actually go from the bloodstream into the cells and the tissue, CO2 has to be present. So the, the scientific kind of data on the importance of CO2 in nose breathing is what we find so interesting because if you're if you're thinking oh i mean it's one thing if you're on a track and you're doing sprints or someone's chasing you you need to mouth breathe to recover look at a dog but we've only really been mouth breathing for 200 years and pretty much with the exception of i think a penguin or some other bird all animals nose breathe and uh they'll even talk about myofascial you know muscular development in the face cool. um the jaw the teeth by keeping your mouth closed. So there's so many beautiful little simple nuances because what I love about breathing is I always say you can do it anywhere and it's free. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's an, an essence of life, right? So if people can get into the habit, unless they are sprinting and need kind of a quick recovery of nose breathing, they will benefit from it more than they realize, especially if they can inhale deeply into the pelvis, like the stomach, Right. And then kind of bring the breath up into the chest and beyond. And on the exhale, if you can exhale for at least seven seconds, after two minutes, you will start downregulating. You'll put yourself into your parasympathetic. So if you're at work and you're stressed out, your kids, whatever, you you will uh, automatically, you don't have to think about it, throw yourself into your parasympathetic. So right. it's a tool to al alkaline your system. Recovery, the fastest way to recover after training, or for example, for your paddlers out there, um, is to nose breathe because all your lactic acid never gets the chance to go build all the way up because your tissue's recovering because you're oxygenating the tissue. Huh. So when you're when so people are coming up for a, like a recovery breath, and so let's say you're coming up for a recovery breath and you're breathing through your mouth breathing at that point. Are you saying your yeah, the, the oxygen? Your oxygen. Okay, so the oxygen is not getting into your bloodstream when you're 
as effectively if you're breathing that way? It's in your bloodstream. It's in your bloodstream. It's not getting into the cells and tissue. Uh, so, for example, I have people, I, I teach classes here, and so I have friends that wow. go, well, I'm a runner, and I go, okay, you're going to hate me, but if you could run a little slower and commit to nose breathing, you will not be as fatigued, and eventually your lungs and your nostrils will get better at all this. They open up, the moisture builds. It does become yeah. easier, and your lactic acid never, it doesn't go as high because you're oxygenating the tissue. So you will not only be able to run further more effortlessly, but you'll be recovering. And eventually you'll probably be able to match a pace that you're accustomed to with nose breathing. Really? So, so if, what, yeah. what, if, what if you're an Olympic sprinter? Can they do that? Can, are they nose- it's short because they, right. they don't need to recover. It's right. too quick. It's like, boom, right. done. Who right. cares? Right. So this is if an you're talking about like, yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, or, or, but in life, right? Like if I tra- if I go and bang a bunch of iron and train, the best thing I could do for myself is like a 10 minute highly oxygenating sequence in and out through my nose. And even if you wanted to get really tricked, you could start doing, I don't know if you guys are doing any apnea, holds at the bottom and the top so that you're actually building the CO2 and, you know, kind of accelerating that process. So people could, let's say, for example, inhale for 10 seconds, which most people get stuck at their chest at about five and six seconds. It's just the way it is. So we've got to really start to connect with the diaphragm right. and draw right. the air in. You know, pranayama is a great example of this. It's, you know, this stuff has been around forever. Um, and you can, if you can breathe deep into your stomach, hold on the inhale, exhale slowly, at least seven seconds, pull the belly button to the spine so that lungs get clean. Right. Then hold at the bottom. And if you do this just for a few minutes, you'll put yourself in the quickest form of recovery, better than any protein shake, better than any chicken breast. This will be the number one thing you could do to start recovering. So, Gabby, where did you learn all of this? Is this from experience and this is from just like working with lots of different people? Trainers and I, you know, listen, you sound like an expert, like the best position ever. We have all these smart people that come to, and we get to visit with and we learn from them and they teach us and then we put it into play because we can't, especially Laird, it's like, we're not, we don't do anything unless it's like a couple years into play for ourselves. Right. And because the thing is, if I'm going to talk to you and connect with you, if I, if I am not connected, at least on the simplest level of what the information is, you're going to be like, Gabby's so full of crap. (laughs) So, you know, I want to, I want to live it. I want to, I want to really see. And then if you go, Hey, there's something to this, then you want to share it. Cause you're like, right. Hey, my friend, check this out. Like, well, that's the best way to learn. 8%. Yeah. Right. That's the best and way to learn. You so, guys are learning from experience and you're you're learning it from the experts and passing it on. Yeah. And I live with, you know, Laird is the largest tinkering, most curious person who is interested in things, but also, Hey, he's looking for ways to, how do I continue a level of performance? How do I do right. things smarter? How do I, you know, all these things. And he's dedicated, like he's the most disciplined person I know about, like, you know, for, he'll do 45 minute breathing sessions. I'm like, yo, I'll answer some emails <laughs> and Laird will be in there like breathing and doing it. So yeah, but you're doing the breathing you know session I, while you're answering emails. I need it because then I need to be down regulating. So I'm not like <laughs> twisting out on what everyone's saying on the emails. You're but getting too many stressful emails. 
<laughs> well, that's just life. Everybody's got right. work, right? It's, but I think the, 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 the lucky thing for us is that we sort of have this like people going, hey, I've been studying this for 20 years. I'll share it with you. And you go, wow, thanks. And the other thing is I have a built-in system within my own home that keeps me kind of accountable to practice, to incorporate it. When I start, you know, neglecting myself in a certain way, I have some real reminders about how to, you know, serve myself or my health or what have you. So I'm not, I want to be really clear. I know it's hard to get it done. Um, but you know, the, but the, one of the better books was the one, was the one I, I mentioned at the top, which was the oxygen advantage, because right. the other side of this is it, it, it's, it's the science of it. The, you know, this gentleman has been studying this and, and has the hard science and, and both Laird and I are interested in feeling, but there's something really great when you start to get into well, why are we doing this and what is it doing? And um, especially if you're going to ask other people to come play with you, you can't be like, it feels really good. They'll be like, okay, that worked the first three times. Now, why are we doing this? So I think it's, you know, it's all that. And, and, um, and I'm always interested in something simple like that. This isn't some radical machine that I have at my house that costs a lot of money. Right. This is for everybody. Right. And what, what do you th what do you tell people is sort of the key takeaway from the whole XPT experience? I think, you know, our theme at XPT, because then we have the heat and the ice and the, and the water underwater pool training, right? With the dumb, right. with dumbbells and all of, all of this stuff. And that was, how can I be ballistic and not pound my joints? And how can I play in water and all these things? And for Laird, how can I improve my swimming and, and what have you? So, for us, we always say at the top of every XPT, this is not about us telling you what to do. This is about a conversation where we'll share a bunch of stuff that we like. You take what feels good to you. But most importantly, it is about each individual person saying, based on my life, based on my likes, based on where I am in my life, what do I, what do I need to do to get it done? And then we just sort of put out some stuff on the table and say, if any of these tools can work for you. Um, then take them home with you uh, because it, it can't be one shoe fits all. And by the way, what works for me in the summer may not work for me in the winter. So I think it's really important that anytime somebody says, I have the answer, I'm going to run away. Now, if somebody goes, I have some ideas. I'll show them with you. If you like some, take them. If you don't, it's cool. And for us, XPT, we're hoping becomes, you know, we have other experts that come in, scientists, guys like Kelly Starrett and it's about saying, let's, let's just, you know, kind of distill this down into the easiest pill to digest, you know, whether it's time or money and let's share it. And hopefully we can, you know, have other people feel and benefit the way that we've, we've been able to. And who would you say is sort of the target audience or the people who come out and participate? You know, it's interesting. We have, um, you know, 28 year olds, to 65-year-olds, men and women, they have all one thing in common. They're not like freaky. Everybody doesn't, isn't like a, doesn't have to be like superhuman. They're just curious and yeah. willing to try new things. Really? And they're, and they're adventurous, right? Yeah, they, and this it, is, yeah. This is kind of a bold well, step to even go out. And yeah. It's got to be intimidating, right? I mean, you, I imagine you and Laird are there. Are you guys there every session? 
yeah, we're there. Like we're there in a real way. Yeah, that's that's that is uh yeah, that's that's bold, you know, for someone to sign up and say, I'm headed on an airplane right now and I'm gonna go do some pool training with Gabby and Laird for a week. They're gonna need a vacation from that vacation. No, well, they, I don't know how some of them do it, quite frankly. I'm like, man, they must be tired, but because I'm tired just watching them. But you have to realize we're, we're not going to invite you to where we are and then not be your advocate. I'm there to be your advocate the way I like when the pool, for example, there'll be people I know exactly what they can do. And so, yes, I will, I will nudge them along because I want them to understand I know that they can do that. And if I see that they're struggling, I'm not going to be like, do it. I understand. I have enough experience to go. You know, it's even like this. I have people who come and they are deathly afraid of the water and they will make, really? let's say, a two inch, two inch afraid, two inches of progress in the pool compared to someone else went 20 feet. And I try to remind them, listen, your two inches is 10 times greater than their 20 feet yeah. coming from where you came. So let's be clear. Let's be super clear, especially when you're talking about water, dumbbells, no oxygen, oxygen. This is, this is a serious environment. So I think it's always about communicating that along where yes i am i can be tough on people but it's for their own benefit because that's also why they're there but it's also to nurture them and say you've got to be proud of yourself right now you're doing this so let's not get into oh that wasn't good enough or that wasn't that's not productive i'm impressed that they sign up for this course when they're afraid of the water There are people who they genuinely, you can see it and you can see it in the eyeball and they'll even tell you. And then I ask like, hey, is anyone concerned about being in the pool? And there are even certain once in a while, someone will go, hey, you know what, today, we're just going to keep you in the shallow. We're not going to put you in the 10 you know, foot deep end. We're going to keep you here. And that's great. And that's what we're doing today. Yeah. Or maybe they thought it was just an ice bath thing. And they were like, no, no, no. I signed up for the ice bath. I'm not going in the pool. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't, we try not to give, I mean, both Laird and I are, are you know, we sort of would be like, mm, I, I'm actually don't even think there'd be a lot of talking. I just think you'd sort of look at them like, no, we're, we're going to do it, you know, but I think, um, I think it's, and it's also reminding them it's all scalable. Like it's, you can modify everything. That's, that's another thing that's really important for XPT because Laird and I could go someplace and we could get some trainer or some expert and they could make it impossible on us. And what does that prove? Right. So in in other words, you don't need to be a super athlete. And the other thing is that no. you have, it sounds like you have a very diverse group of people out there, which has got to make it a little bit more challenging, right? Because you're trying to do a group activity and you've got, you've got people. No, you can, you can, you can do it within it. They can, within it, it's like it all kind of has, they all have their own little bubble. So yeah. it actually kind of worked out because listen, if you and I are going to pool together and you're killing it and I'm nervous, you might have a 25 pound weight and I might have a five pound weight. And that's just the way it is. I think those roles so, would be reversed. Within it. <laughs> well, okay. But yeah, it's your show. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe, we'll see. Know, talk about you right now. We'll have that yeah, contest. So, sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's all that like little, and you know, it's sometimes reminding people, I look you know, like we'll have the guys who are just super jacked and gnarly on land and they're not right, right in the water. And then I'll have some ladies that are, you know, surfers or distance swimmers and they crush it in the pool and they're learning something new on land. So I just think it's, it becomes about realizing like, Hey, I'm just trying something new and I'm pushing my own personal envelope and um, that's a success. Well, we did this like static apnea um, breath hold, you know, and the instructors told us, you know, they're surprised all the time because you just never know with different 
body types, ages, genders, physical fitness ability, and everything, none of that really plays a factor in static apnea. Or, I, I mean, it, I, it might in some level, but basically you, you take a mixed bag of people and you put them all through a, a static breath hold. And, and yep. you know, as they told us, like, they're constantly surprised by the results, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, for the people who people look like they'd be able to hold their breath for, for the longest period of time, are the shortest, and then, yep. you know, and then the opposite is true of people you didn't think would be able to hold their breath for very long at all. Well, you know what's interesting is I have found with the breath holding because we, you know, we'll get people. I do, I do, you know, three three minute breath holds like consistently with new people. Like after a few rounds, I get them on the inhale, a three minute hold, right? And wow. if you have a very muscular muscular person or type A, they actually cannot as easily. Expand their rib cage and lungs um, as somebody maybe who is like, yeah, cool, surrender. You know what I mean? Like, right. so to your point, it, it, sometimes that tightness, that control, all that, uh, even though it looks what in our modern definition, it looks good. Um, expansiveness, openness, a time for softness is, is in some ways more of a benefit. And, and um, I think, uh, uh, people, they do, they, they can't believe like that was three minutes. I'm like, yeah, that was three minutes. Like they trip right. out because right. if you're breathing correctly, right, your tissue is oxygenated. You have enough oxygen probably for five or six minutes. Another really cool thing people don't realize is if you're trying, let's say I'm doing pool drills. I will tell my participants after they kind of get it for a bit, a minute, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll have them swim back and forth holding a dumbbell. And let's say I start to ramp up how many times I want them uh, to go without coming up for a breath, I'll say, okay, now what you're going to do is you're going to narrow your eyes because huh. even when you're doing the breath hold, when you're laying on, on the ground to open your eyes and to notice burns oxygen wow. processing information. So right, maybe that's, right. maybe that's 3%, maybe that's 4%. Just close your eyes. And so if you're swimming, uh, in these, in these XPT drills, it's like, Hey, make your eyes as narrow as possible because you will burn less oxygen. Wow. That makes sense. I mean, you are, you're processing stuff. You're seeing things, you're thinking about things, right? <clears throat> you close That's your right. eyes. It's hard enough to clear your mind when your eyes are closed, but when your eyes are open, I think it's, it's obviously yeah. a little more challenging. <clears throat> yeah. It's all these little things that you kind of, you know, you pick up along the way and I go, Hey, 2% here and 3% there and 1% here. It starts to add up. And if, you know, it's 10% easier. I can go 10% further Then that, that, that means something. Oh yeah. I mean, they had us, you know, completely relaxing, you know, really getting like all the tension out of your shoulders, your arms, you're just, you're floating and you're trying, yeah, you're trying to basically, you're trying to be as still and as quiet as, as possible. You're, you're almost, you know, you're almost basically pretending you're dead. Well, that's it. I always tell people, think of yourself like, you're just a puddle on the floor and your clothes are sitting there. Or the other thing that seems to work well is I tell people sometimes if they're doing the breath holds, I'm like, you're, you're eight feet underwater and you, you're completely weightless and you, you're just floating there and you're not doing anything. You're just there. And it, and it is amazing when people start to surrender to that notion, um, how much longer they can go for sure. So when they come out of this course, um, what are they? What are they saying? Are these? Is this revolutionary type of 
self-awareness stuff of what they can do now or? Yeah, I think they're proud of themselves for one. I think a lot of them incorporate the breathing and the heat and ice, um, you know, or the cold and the hot into their life. And, you know, another component of XPT is to, to connect with nature, which could even be your, a park. But this, this idea of we are nature and nature is us. And so the more we can connect or take opportunities to connect, I think we do, we do feel more harmonious. And, and so I think they, you know, they take that home with them as well, because, uh, you know, Laird obviously is, is sort of impetus for a lot of it is, is that reminder that we're not separate from our environment. So we, we can't continue to keep trying to separate ourselves because we're not going to feel our best. Right. And, right. And quite frankly, community. Community, the reason, you know, I can train for 30 years is because I have set up a formula and a community of people that help me when I can't get it done myself. So I think a lot of these people, if they don't already have a big or small community, they go, you know what, I get the importance of doing something that's uncomfortable with somebody who's like, you can do this, or let's go, or I'll see you at 8 a.m., or whatever it is, that's pretty much most of us get it done in this everyday life. Uh, there's, a, there's always an exception. There's always some radical person that's so driven and so focused and they go at it alone. But I actually don't think it's as rewarding uh, in the long run as doing it with another person. Because if you and, and somebody else or a group of people are helping each other be their best, I think that that's a very powerful way to connect with people. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you see that differ from the communities when you're in Hawaii versus Malibu? Is it, is it, is it vastly different? We, we yeah. mimic it. <laughs> No, we, we are, you know, we have, we had this guy come and train with us here and he's like, I, I don't, I don't want to see you guys in Malibu. You know, it's so pure here in Hawaii or whatever. And I was like, I'm like, we've been doing this forever. Like where we go is where it's happening. So we're really fortunate. We have a group of people. Some of them have been like, you know, the biggest kind of testers with us with pool training and we meet and we get it done and everybody goes on with their lives. Right. Right. So it really doesn't matter where you are. It's like when you're there, that's what you're going through. That's right. And and actually Laird's time in the ocean, I mean, in Hawaii is almost less community oriented because he's in a season and he's with his sort of brothers of the ocean more than, but he, you know, like even the heat nights, we'll need other friends that he may not surf with to come and do rounds of heat nights with us to sort of not only share that experience, but create that sense of community. Well, it's it's inspiring what you guys are doing, and again, it's it's amazing that um, it's amazing that you guys have put together this whole program and you're able to do it together um, so successfully. And I really applaud how public you are about uh, what that's like and working together on on an endeavor like that. Um, I want to ask you one last question, and, and yeah, okay. Um, one last Go question ahead. is just about. Just about parenting, and um, and I mean, oh. you you're both these uber dynamic personalities, um, who are both still very active and very current in your careers, and doing all kinds of new and exciting things, and and yet I, I get the impression that you're still 
you know, you, both of you are amazing parents in terms of your presence with your kids and how you're raising your kids. And, you know, you always, you always hear these horror stories about kids who grow up with celebrity parents. And I feel like you guys are almost living the opposite kind of lifestyle from those stereotypes. And, um, first, first off, I just want to say, at least from my perspective, it seems like you're doing an incredible job managing and balancing all that. And, um, wondering kind of, you know, how I know a lot of it boils down to time management, which is obviously critical and, and prioritization, but what are, you know, what are some of the key takeaways and lessons that you can share, um, about trying to stay focused and keep all that in balance? You know, it goes, it's that, it's that brushing your teeth, making your bed. I think it's a recommitment every day. And, and I'll be honest, I, for example, um, we have a daughter graduating college and we have a teenage daughter and then a 10 year old. But I, I would say this, I'd say, and I've learned this from my teenage daughter right now that, um, you know, you kind of think like you have it going and it's like, you sort of are cool and like your system's in place. And then, you know, that you always hear parents joke about like, once I figured that situation out with that kid, then they changed. And then I had to do it all over again. Right. Well, not only is there that, but, I thought personally that I was going to be able to escape some of the cliches of parenting, especially, you know, teenage daughters. I have th we have three daughters. And then you realize that there are certain things, no matter how clever you think you are and how on top of it and how present and how, uh, you know, forthcoming you are with your children and all this, um, that you will be able to escape and and that is actually not the case. And so I think for me, what I have most recently learned is that I have, uh, for example, put systems in place that have worked very well. They've worked well for me. They've worked well in my business, but they may not be great tools or great systems as a parent. So um, being really focused and really disciplined, that's all great, but you might have a child that needs something else. Right. And so your willingness to look at, to look at that and to even say, wow, I failed. And to even kind of, uh, mourn you, you kind of, I think there you do mourning as a parent. You're like, wow, I really blew that. Um, I think is, is part of it and, and willing to not only look at it, but say, okay, Am I just going to say, well, that's just how I do it? Or are you going to say, maybe I could do this differently and better? So I, I, I think that um, each kid is so different. And the baggage I come with, you know, uh, as a parent and Larry comes with as a parent and a person, it's like stuff you're always working on. Um, and, each, and each kid is different. Like I joke, my youngest daughter you know, she's like gonna, you're gonna pay up front with her, right? She's super demanding. She right. actually barely cares what you think. And yet she has like a safety mechanism in her that's like, she's almost a little chicken in some ways. So she's in a certain way. My middle daughter is like very sensitive and she, it's not about what you say, it's what she feels from you. Huh. But she has a, a, a chip more like her father, which is like, well, what would that be like? And what does that feel like? And you just, so, so I guess what I'm saying is with parenting is it is a moving target. And if you can keep checking in 
and really looking and saying, do I need to adapt here, even though it's uncomfortable, um, it's really important. And, and there, and to be humble, like, you know, sometimes, and the kids are, you know, 30 years younger and more, and you have to sometimes humble down in front of them. And sometimes the opposite, you have to be like, hey, this is how it is and suck it. And I know you don't like me and that's how it is. But you have to do that not from fear, but from that you know it's the right thing. And that there, these are the things that are so tricky. Right. And you, I, like, and, you know, as you said, you got to sort of have a different relationship with each each kid. And you sort of have to <clears throat> you, you treat each one a little bit differently in terms of how you respond to each, in your case, each of your daughters. Right. And yeah. uh, it's it is it's, it's a balancing act all the time in terms of career and household and family life and yeah. being married and, and, and your relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? I, I always say it's actually me first because if I don't take care of myself, no one else right. will. It's a good approach. I actually try to make sure Laird, Laird and I have flow in a peaceful, somewhat, co you know, cohesiveness. So the house is, is peaceful. And of course my children are first, but it's not first, above my well-being and, and our us because then things get out of whack. Um, and, and the only other thing I would say, if I could do certain things over again, like people with small children, especially the telephone, right. social media, that is something that you have to nip in the butt, like by six years old, because it, anyone who has a kid 10, nine and older can tell you, it's a brute and it's not going away. And it is, I think it is so, it, it yeah. is causing so many different subtle, weird, screwy things in our children that, um, it, you know, if parents could really figure out a way to be more on top of that sooner, I, that's one thing I, one of my regrets for sure. Yeah. I feel lucky that we didn't have to grow up with that stuff. It's, it's wild. It's crazy. Oh. I have two boys or 17, 15 and, I get it. I mean, it's it's an electronics world, and yeah, there's gonna be data. There's gonna be all kinds of data that comes out about the repercussions and effects of all of that stuff, and yeah. we won't know what those are for a while. And but, it is. but I agree. I mean, I, I think that you don't have to be. Um, yeah, I don't think that you need a whole lot of data to understand that there's something not quite right about it, and we got to yeah. sort of we got to. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's a really good advice. Nip it in the bud early, and and um, make sure yeah. that that doesn't become something they obviously spend a lot of time with. Yeah, and, and especially, I mean, it's different. Boys with the gaming and girls with the social media, there's different things. But it's like, it is it is, right. it is such a bear. My oldest daughter is away from it at 22. Um, so I, it's weird. Like, some of them actually decide to back off of it when they hit about 18, 19. I've seen right. that. I saw that with my oldest, and I've seen it with others. But in the formative years, man, that thing is just, yeah. depending on the kid, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty radical. So I would say that, that, you know, they're even bringing back flip phones and stuff. <laughs> well, and it's the opportunity cost is, you know, the time they're spending doing that is time they're not spending yeah. doing some of the things that, you know, we all did when we grew up. And so they're lack, they don't develop kind of some of the skills that, you know, we, that all of us had to acquire in terms of just levels of patience, downtime, you know, being able to build things with your hands, being able to troubleshoot, problem solve, make things. It's, uh, yeah. it's lost. Unfortunately, it's just lost time. It's time that's being consumed doing 
something that's you know in my opinion it's not as constructive and and it and it no. consumes it consumes I, a consist a considerable amount of time it's unbelievable how many hours go by and unfortunately the, the, that time those hours go by so fast sometimes you don't even realize how much time you spent I, yeah well it's the rabbit hole i read this book by uh dr robert lustig and he said something very interesting and he's an endocrinologist and he was studying child obesity which led him to this whole discovery about uh -huh. sugar and eating without fiber and what have you but one of the things he talked about was okay serotonin and dopamine both essential dopamine is highly motivating you know your reward center and serotonin is sort of that sense of well-being and and so with serotonin he's like listen you can't usually buy it usually do get it with other people you know relationships it usually takes longer to go for a run right and he goes right. you can't make too much of it it's, it's fantastic go for it make as much serotonin as you can get your hands on dopamine it's a, you know, it's a quick fix. It's, you know, you can buy it. Usually you get it alone, right? It's all, it's all these things. And then you get tolerance, then you get uh, addiction and things like that. And he goes, so here's what happens when you've got the telephone and people have likes and all the stuff that's dopamine, right? Bang, bang, bang right, all day right. long. Dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. He said, so serotonin, he's like, you can make as much serotonin as you would work for it. And he goes, but there's a problem. There's only one single thing that inhibits your ability to make serotonin. And it's dopamine. <laughs> wow. So, so if, yeah. If your kid's yeah. kid banging the dopamine yeah. button all day long, jackpot, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. I mean, you know, think about think about rock stars and movie stars and billionaires. I have everything. I, I, I you know, I have a billion dollars. I have a plane. I have hookers. I have whatever you <laughs> think the thing is that you want. And you hit your dopamine button all day long. And I have never been more miserable. Well, right. there's a direct correlation. And unfortunately, it takes self-discipline and restraint to not go for the dopamine. It's not sexy. So how do you tell a 12 or 14 year old, yo, you know, take it easy on that. <laughs> but them or us understanding there's only one thing from keeping you making the hormone that gives you that sense of well-being. One. Wow. That's interesting. That's a scary correlation. And yes. there's, yeah, there's a lot of kids who are not getting enough serotonin. That's for sure. So I just, so, you know, again, I always like to go back to science, but, it, you know, it's there. Wow. Well, like I said, you know, there's going to be, we're going to learn a lot about this later on when they have, you know, the long-term studies and long-term effects of it. But in the meantime, hey, all you kids out there, get off your phones, yeah. right? <clears throat> go uh, go build a go-kart yeah. or do something else. Seriously. But, um, yeah, so that, you know, that'll be something that I, you know, as a parent will, will navigate. But it is, if you ask me if everything, it's certainly like every parent, it is the most humbling thing um, that I certainly have ever done. Well, Gabby, I just want to say thank you so much. This has been awesome just to spend some time getting to know you better. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time and getting back to us so quickly on this. Um, I know. I think you're truly an inspiration to a, a lot of the people that follow you. And I think that uh, it's just been great to spend this time getting to know you a little bit better. Well, thank you for having me. And, and I will leave you with this thought because when you said that, it made me think of something, which was this. 
at the end of the day, one, I, I'm not sure about a lot of things. I, I'm sure you should get a good night's sleep and be hydrated and all these things. And the truth is important, but we're all kind of portals for things. Like if I, the minute I think, oh, it's me or whatever, I think it's that you're missing the point. I think at the end of the day, we're sort of all portals for something and whatever that is, you know, it's sort of our duty to, to do that. But I really just think I'm, you know, occupying a space to be a portal for something. And, and uh, hopefully I can honor that. And, and, uh, and we, like we all should. Exactly. And you're doing it. All right. Take care, Gabby. We'll talk to you again, hopefully soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Aloha. Aloha.